not just once in a while, but every hour we need him. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to introduce to you our speaker this morning. Let's give it up for Pastor Mike. He's a good man. He's going to come and minister the word. God bless him as he preaches the word today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Such a privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. So thank you, Pastor, always for the opportunities. And I did a little research. I had to Google what that little thing was that the Lord showed me, that picture with mountain climbers. It's called a pitten. So just to give you a word, and what it is, it says, in climbing, a pitten is a metal spike, usually steel, that is driven into a crack or a seam in the climbing surface with a climbing hammer, in which acts as an anchor to either, one, protect the climber against the consequences of falling, or to assist progress in the aid of climbing. And so that's just the word picture the Lord gave me this morning. And I want you to think of your breakthrough, what you're praying for, and it's going to be that pitten. And so once you, that rock climber gets that pitten in place, he can actually pull himself up to a new level. And so, and what that's going to do is it's going to prevent them from falling because we don't want to go back, right? We don't want to go back to our thinking where we don't think we're going to get breakthroughs. But we also have to keep reaching up. We want to keep moving up until we experience that breakthrough. Amen. So let's just pray to ask God specifically to help us with the word this morning to understand it. And uh, we'll share a few verses, break some bread, pray, and then send you guys off into the mission field. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We just ask right now that you would open every heart, every mind, workplaces, those who watch this at another time, at a later date. We pray that your anointing would be over them, over us. We want to have understanding to what you're speaking to this morning. We want to see breakthrough in our own lives and in our own families' lives as well, Father. We want to see breakthrough in our workplaces and our communities. We want to see breakthrough in our nation, God. We want to see breakthrough around the world. And Father, we know that we need your spirit in order to do that. And so we ask by your spirit to give us clarity, to give us truth this morning. Help us to apply it practically to every way of our thinking and every way of life. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. amen and amen. We are going to be in the book of John chapter 14. We're going to look at um, three verses and then we're going to jump back and forth and look at a couple different verses for reference and I've entitled this message as I was praying. The Lord said, I want you to talk about what it means to be fully filled with the Spirit. What does it mean and how does it look for a disciple of Jesus to be fully filled? And we're going to look at two different things because of timing. There's so much in this chapter that we can cover, but we're going to try and focus on these three verses and share just two things that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to put his finger on in our lives this morning. Uh, my family and I were coming back from uh, being at, uh, at a friend's house down in Connecticut, and she was driving, and um, you know with these new cars, how many of you have these newer cars where there's sensors and alerts, all kinds of buttons flashing, and that's not what you want to see when you're driving, right? And so we're driving back. There's sensors in the wheels of our car that can tell if air pressure is low. And so that came on while we were driving. And we were tired and instinctive. We just wanted to just get home. But that light wouldn't get off. And so finally we said, all right, let's just pull off on an exit and see if we can find a... Um, a, G, uh, a gas station that has a, a little pump. So we, we pulled off the exit, finally found one, we pulled up, and I filled it up to what I thought was full, and we got back in the car, got, and got back onto the highway, started driving, and that nice little orange light kept flashing. 
And the sensor can actually show you what your PSI levels are in the tires. And the other ones were, I think, at 34, and this one was at 31. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I was just two PSIs off. And so I said to Tara, I'll just take the car tomorrow and, and, and fill it up at another gas station. So we got home, and uh, we found another gas station that actually had, you can actually set it to what you want it to be, the PSI. So I clicked 34, I put the the air intake onto the wheel and I filled it up and the air automatically stops when it's at the right level. And as I was preparing and praying, the Lord just began showing me that if we begin to ignore signs like that in our lives, if, I, if we ignored that warning light, the car may be able to travel and go certain distances, but what begins to happen is because of that tire pressure and how low it can be, it can actually begin to cause damage to the inner parts of the vehicle. And not only that, it puts more wear and tear on the other three tires. And the Lord wants to share with us this morning what it means to be fully filled with the Spirit of God. We do not want to be a people that's operating on half full. We don't want to be doing what God has called us to do half full because with what God has called us to do, he needs every aspect of our lives filled so that we know where he leads us and where he guides us. Amen? And so that's what we're going to pray for this morning as I give that illustration of just, we don't want to ignore the prodding of the Holy Spirit. And so the scriptures that we're going to look at are going to show us two aspects of what it means. If we're going to call ourselves a Christian, if we're going to call ourselves believers and disciples, these are things that must be evident in our lives to be fully filled. Amen? So let's go to the scripture. We're in John chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 17. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so there's two things that I want to focus on. In the context of this scripture, what we're doing is we're talking about in youth group, in our youth ministry, is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. We talked about how when you are an American citizen, there's actually rights that you have. Because realize that if you are not an American citizen, you're limited to how much you can travel. But if you're an American citizen, you can travel as much as you want. If you're an American citizen, you have the right to vote in our country. And that's a big deal, because a lot of other nations, they don't have that privilege. So because we are under that citizenship, there are rights and privileges that come with that. And I believe in the same way, when we are kingdom citizens, there's rights and privileges that we have that the rest of the world might not be able to, to experience because they're not under that citizenship. And so in the same way, there are rights and things that God wants us to do in order to be under that rule. And so what Jesus says to his disciples is, the context of what I just read is Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to equip his disciples for his absence. And I don't know about you, but God has, God has how many of you in here, God has given you a mentor in your life? Someone who, is, who has walked with you through the worst, they've walked with you through the best of times, but God has used them to be an anchor of truth. And so the hard part in life is sometimes there's a, a, God diverts us away from those mentors. It could be either because they passed away, it could be because God's called them to another place. But it's hard when you put everything into that one mentor and then something shifts and they leave. 
God has not called us to put our anchor in people. However, however, God desires in our lives that we become citizens in his kingdom. And when he's leaving the disciples, some of them might be thinking, if Jesus leaves us, how are we going to do what he's called us to do? How are we going to, how are we going to minister the way that he's called us to minister? Because some of these disciples failed being under Jesus' ministry. And Jesus always came and he corrected them. He helped them get to the right place. He would say, the reason this didn't work is because you weren't praying enough. The reason because this doesn't work is fasting needs to be involved with this. He was always there to gently guide them to where they needed to be. But now he's preparing to leave them. And some of them might begin feeling fear of, how am I going to do what you've called me to do when you're gone? And so this is the context of what Jesus is talking about. And so what is the first, what does he say in the scripture? He says, number one, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is very interesting. We see the word love many times throughout the scriptures. But the actual Greek word for this love is agapeo, which literally means to be fond of or to love dearly. Now, we need to understand what this meaning is because Jesus is saying, if you love me, then you're going to obey my commandments. This type of love occurs 110 times in the New Testament. And what it means, it's the sense of doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. I found some commentators and theologians that wrote really good things about this type of love, and I I want to read them to you. West, who is a theologian, he wrote this about this type of love that we're supposed to love God with. He says that agapeo speaks of a love which is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. How many of you have something in your life that you prize? Could be an electronic, could be your car, your home. We have things in our lives, right, that we prize, that we take care of, that we're fond of. We have people in our lives that we prize, correct? People in our lives who we are incredibly fond of. And so this is that type of love that he's talking about. It's a love that is awakened by a sense of value. Jesus is not talking about a love that the disciples need to have for the world. He's talking about a love that the disciples need to have for each other. And I believe in the the culture that we're living in now that this love has kind of gone to sleep. We have to be awakened and we have to look at one another and, and see the value in each other. And Jesus is saying is if we're called to be a disciple, if we're called to be a part of who he is, then this will be evident in the life of the believer. Gene Getz, who is another theologian, he wrote this. He said, agapeo love is doing what is right and best for someone, even if it involves negative feelings. I'll read that again. Agapeo love is doing what is right and best for someone, even if it involves negative feelings. It's very easy to love people when they love you back. It's very easy to love people when they treat you right. But Jesus is saying, even if there's an involvement of negative feelings, we are still called to love. There can be offense in the body of Christ, and there is. But we're not called to put a wall up and walk away. We're called to still love people through that. And we can't do that in our own strength. People have tried to do that in their own strength. And the people who have walked away from other believers because maybe they said something or maybe they did something, then sometimes I question, are they fully filled? Because a fully filled believer of Jesus Christ, even through offense, will still love that person 
Amen? And imagine if we can operate on this on a daily basis, what that could do in the church, what that could shift in the church. Amen? He goes on to say, the word carries the idea of making much of a person. The word carries, we tend to think of love primarily in terms of emotions. That is natural because our, our most conscious of, we are most conscious of love in the realm of emotions. God, however, relates love to the will rather than to the emotions. He commands us to love. We can love with our emotions, but if we just hang on to our emotions, just like that, that little pitten that rock climbers use, if we hang everything on our emotions, what if things change? When you get married, we can't go by our emotions. When we stand at the altar and we say our vows to our wives or our husbands, we aren't doing it out of emotions. We're doing it because God commands us to love. That means when the emotions go away or there's a season where you don't feel in love, you don't move on to something else. You stay in it because God commands us to do it. And I believe in the same way God has brought us all together relationally, and we have to fight through offense. We have to fight through disunity. We have to fight through things and learn how to live in this, this agapeo love where we think fondly of each other. Because I don't know about you, but how many of you have interesting family dynamics? I love my family, but we have all kinds of, of special dynamics. And... What's amazing is that I still love my brothers and sisters through arguments, through offense, through seasons. There might be seasons where I don't want to talk to them. There might be seasons where I get frustrated. But when we learn how to live in this agapeo love, it always comes back around. Amen? Amen. And the only way we can do that is to be fully filled. Amen. You have to be fully filled in order to do this. I want to jump back one chapter because what Jesus is saying here is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That word keep literally means to guard or to attend to carefully. My wife and I aren't the greatest with plants. Any plants that we get don't tend to live that long. But some of you have green thumbs. We went to her sister's house and, you know, for the 4th of July, we were in the backyard and it's like you walked into an English garden. She had vegetables growing. My girls are pulling sugar snap peas off the vine, just eating it. She's showing me all these things that she planted. And I looked at Tara. I said, if we did this, it would just, it'd, all, it'd all be dead. We just don't attend to it. But she says she has to work at it every day. So in the life of a believer, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep, you will guard. You will tend to carefully. It doesn't mean he's asking for perfection but we as believers, when we're fully filled with the Spirit, he helps us to attend to it carefully to make sure that we are living under those and being obedient. Let's jump back one chapter to John 13 to give more um, context to what Jesus is talking about, about this commandment. John 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new what? Commandment I give to you, that you love who? One another, just as what? I have loved you. You are also to love who? One another. One another. And then he says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see the repetitiveness of it? We overlook this love aspect, but it is so crucial to the life of the believer. And when we are fully filled with the spirit, we can have that love for one another. And we need to bring that back into the church. We need to get on our knees and say, God, fill me with your spirit so that I can have that love for those who are in this church body. Amen? Amen. 
What I love about Jesus saying in the scripture, a new commandment I give to you, that word new, it implies freshness. It's the opposite of outworn rather than recent or different. So this isn't something new that Jesus is saying. This is something that he's always said and he's always wanted us to do, but he's bringing it back in context to give a freshness to it. How many of you know we need to have a fresh wind of the spirit in our lives, amen? I've been filled with the spirit, but I can't just live off that one moment in my past. I need the fresh wind of the spirit every day, renewing us, strengthening us. So Jesus, this isn't something that's new. It's not something that was just invented. It was presented in a new, fresh way. Tertullian, who was an early Christian theologian, he reported that the pagans of that day, as saying of Christians, see how they love one another. In that day, there were people in the world who were not part of the church who would look at Christians and they would see and say, wow, look at how much they love one another. Do we want people from the outside of the world to come in and look at our church and say, wow, look at how much they love one another? That'd be one of the greatest compliments. And Jesus commands it. Amen? He goes on to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then look what he goes on. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You know, with this love that we're talking about, what I love is Jesus didn't just say stuff and not live by it. He lived it out in his life. I'd like you to turn with me to Romans 5.8. It's a very well-known scripture, but I'd like you to turn with me so you can see it on the pages of your Bible and it'll be on the screen behind me. But God shows his what? For us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So sometimes when we get saved, we lose that perspective, which means if someone does something wrong to me in my life, I look down on them and think, I don't need to be around them and I don't need to love them anymore. I don't need to have anything to do with them. But Jesus, by his example, he said, while we were yet sinners, while we were in the worst of our mess, while we were stuck in the muck of life, while we were strayed and far away from God, it was then that he loved us. There's something so special about a God who sees me at my worst and still sacrifices and comes down, sacrifices his life for me. And Jesus is saying is you are to love one another the same way. It doesn't matter what people have done in your life or said to you, we have to learn how to love people through it. Amen? That word commandment, it's literally a universal charge, order, or command. I was talking with David Giles once, and he, was, he had served in the military, and he was talking about, it didn't matter what kind of president came in, when you were in the military and a command goes out, you follow that order. You don't go by your emotions. If we live by our emotions, when God calls us to do something that might be difficult, we have to be filled with the Spirit in order to do it. I don't want to live life by just doing what God tells me to do when it's easy. Being a disciple is doing what God has called us to do even when it's hard. But he knows we can't do it in our flesh. So we have to be fully filled in order to do it. We can't be half filled because that's going to affect the body. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect your family. 
We need to be fully filled to be obedient to the commands that God has given us. Amen? So he goes on to say, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So in the mindset of the disciples, Jesus is leaving. How am I going to do what God has called us to do? Jesus, you're leaving. You're the best thing. There's no one greater than you, and you're going to leave us? But he goes on to say, I'm going to give you another helper. That word for helper is comfort or consoler. It's the idea of help and strength. And then when you read that word for another, this is important. Jesus was not giving another person who was less than of himself. That word another in the Greek means this. It's another of the same kind in contrast to another of a different kind. I had to repent one time because I remember when I was in Bible school, I used to ask Jesus to show himself to me. I used to ask that. I used to say, I want to see a vision of you. I want to see a vision of you. And, and what I began to, as I was studying this, the Lord was saying, it's like we put the Holy Spirit in this box, set aside, and we make Jesus everything. He is everything, but when he's giving us another helper, it's one of the same kind. Jesus isn't saying, I'm leaving you and giving you something less than. I'm leaving you and giving you someone who's going to help you just as much as I have helped you. And church, we have to understand that. That's why it's important to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot do what God has called us to do without the filling of the Holy Spirit. My family gets to go to um, Disney World. And I remember my first trip there, I was 25 years old and I went down with my wife and we weren't, we were dating at the time, so we brought another male friend with us, to, you know, to keep the peace and to make sure things stayed PG and all that kind of stuff. So we brought him down with us, and it was my first experience getting to see these parks. And I was running so fast, going to these next things, and, and I remember we went into the Magic Kingdom, which is one of their four big theme parks, and we go by this stand. And for those of you who know me, I have an um, addiction to soft serve. And so we're going by this soft serve stand and it's all decorated and with uh, uh, lays and Hawaiian stuff and in big letters was pineapple Dole Whip. So I said to Tara, well, we've got to try this. So we went over and tried it. There's very few things in life that make me very happy. Pineapple Dole Whip is one of them. And I remember when I tried it, we went somewhere in the park and we somehow made our way back around to that thing. And if you've ever been to Disney, it's massive. But I somehow on the map got ourselves back there so I could get a second pineapple Dole Whip. And then we were, her Nana was giving us a tour of all the different resorts that they have. And I was looking for this pineapple Dole Whip to see if it was anywhere else in any of the other parks and we couldn't find it. So we're at this one resort and we walk in and her Nana says to us, there's only two places that sell this pineapple Dole Whip. It's in the Magic Kingdom and it's in the Polynesian where you're in right now. And I said... Show me where it is. We went and we got a third pineapple Dole Whip. So years later, last year our family went down and we were walking around in what they called downtown Disney. And all of a sudden we turn around and I'm seeing this stand. And it's got all these Hawaiian decorations and, and these luau things. And it says in big letters, pineapple Dole Whip. <laughs> and instead of running over, I became very, I don't know if this is the real thing. 
I literally said to her, they can't have three places in Disney that have the same texture and the same quality. And so I doubted it. I said, this has got to be some, you know, second mid-level that they just give to the people who aren't paying to get into the parks. But I still had to try it, of course. So we paid for it and we ate it and it was the same exact texture, flavor, and quality of the ones inside the parks. When we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, it's not some sub-level, second-tier thing. When the Holy Spirit fully fills us, it's like Jesus is walking with us to do ministry with us. They are the same and they complement each other. Jesus shows the nature of God the Father So the Holy Spirit, being another of the same kind, shows the nature of Jesus. This is the Trinity in work in the lives of us as believers. They work together. They complement each other. And so it doesn't mean that I don't... God wasn't convicting me about that desire to just see Jesus, but what he was showing me was you need to have that same fervor to be filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit who's going to be a helper and a comforter in this life. And how many of you need help and comfort in this life? I need a lot of it. And that's what we have to pray for. Amen? So he goes on to say, and I will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know, it's very hard when we lose people in our lives. Death is not a, it's not a natural thing. I've done a lot of funerals and there isn't, a, there isn't a right way to react because it's not natural. God didn't design us to die. But because sin came in the world, death was the consequence of that. But Jesus Christ came and reversed that, and we can have life. But we still have to suffer in this life. And sometimes in this life, we get betrayed by people. People say things to us that can really hurt us, that can really scar us. But the Holy Spirit never leaves. Jesus said he's here forever. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter how angry you get with me. It doesn't matter if you fall away from me. The Holy Spirit, when we ask him to come and fill us, he's here to stay. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Don't base it on your emotions. Because there are mornings where I get up and I don't feel saved. There are moments where I get up and I don't feel like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But I don't stand on my emotions. I stand on Jesus' word who he says, I will give you another helper who will be with you forever. And so those mornings, those times where you don't feel like the Holy Spirit is active and working in your life, you speak to those emotions and those feelings. And you say, Jesus, you said in your word, the Holy Spirit is here forever. And there will be moments again where you'll feel the Holy Spirit move and and prompt you to do certain things. And that's the way that we want to live as a church. Amen? Amen? Verse 17 goes on to say, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows, knows him, you know him for he dwells in you and is in you. So the two things that I wanted, the Lord wanted to speak about this morning was agapeo love, being fully filled so that we could learn how to live in this to be obedient to God's commandments. And number two, this is extremely important, especially with what's happening in our culture, is the age-old question, what is truth? We asked this in the youth group on Wednesday. We asked them, what is truth? Truth in the world changes. Amen? There's different types of truths. There's different types of claims. Many people are making claims out there, aren't they, in our world? 
The difference between objective and subjective claims is this. An objective claim is a statement about a factual matter, one that can be proved true or false. For factual matters, there exists widely recognized criteria and methods to determine whether a claim is true or false. So what that means is if I say out loud, even from this pulpit or in my home or to my friends, a certain claim, that claim is going to be either objective or it's going to be subjective. Objective means that there is true or false to it. So when I say the Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world, that is an objective claim because we have instruments that can measure the tallest building in the world. So we could take every building that's been ever built and we can say by fact that this can be measured, therefore it's a factual statement. Now if I were to say five plus four equals 10, then you guys would have to call my fifth grade math teacher and start asking her why she passed me on. Because we know that five plus four does not equal 10, but if I say that out loud, that's an objective claim because it can be proven false. Now if I were to ask you, are there nine planets in our solar system? Most of you who are my age or older, years ago we'd be able to say yes, that's a true statement. But now the kids who are in high school, middle school, that is a false statement. Why? Because facts previously considered true may come to be considered false if new criteria, methods, or technology emerge. For example, the definition of a planet was recently revised. Experts agreed that Pluto did not conform to the new accepted criteria, so at that point the statement there are nine planets in our solar system became false. So it's not that Pluto changed, it's we changed the definition of what a planet was. Therefore, it's false. And in our culture, they are changing the definitions of certain things. And we don't look to that as God has set claims in his word that do not change, no matter what we say or what we do. No matter what word we take and we change and say it's not this anymore, that claim is true based on the word of God. So what is truth? Many people are find, trying to find what that means. And Jesus is here saying that even the spirit of truth, and you know what that word truth means? It means this. It's in the Greek, it's aletheia, which means universally what is true in any matter under consideration. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the spirit of truth that is universal, that does not change no matter what people say. We need that spirit of truth living in us, church, in these days. We have to be able to look at the world, even though they're changing so many things, and still say, that is not truth, and this is truth. Because if we're not careful, if we're not fully filled, then we will change our truth based on what the world says and what people says. Amen? So subjective claims. If I say something with my mouth, so an objective claim, as I said, is something that has to be proven true or false. A subjective claim is this. It's on the other hand, it's not a factual matter. It's an expression of belief, opinion, or personal preference. A subjective claim cannot be proved right or wrong by any generally accepted criteria. So what is a, what is a subjective claim? Starbucks is better than Dunkin' Donuts. Don't hurt me. Some of you in here say that is absolute false and heresy. And you're not wrong but you're not right no matter what. But a subjective claim is based off your opinions. It's not factual. 
Some of you like Starbucks better. Some of you like Dunkin' better. You have that right to make that. There are things in this world that you can claim and say, and people can't change your opinion, and it's okay. Another subjective claim would be, we said this in youth group on Wednesday, touching a spider is scary. That's a subjective claim. For all of you weirdos and freaks who like to hold spiders out there, you get to say that they are not scary, and you, you, you stay away from me, but that's fine. I can hold a spider if it's about this big, but I, you ever see those shows where they're holding these large bird-eating spiders and letting them go on their shoulders and on their hair? If that's their claim, you go sit in your claim in another city and another state. But they're not wrong if they say that it's not scary. Another subjective claim would be Tom Brady is the greatest athlete of all time. I'm just going to leave that there. Go to the next one. Another subjective claim would be cats make the best pets. I know for a fact of people who will hurt you if you tell them that they aren't. But some people argue dogs are the best. Some people argue... Do you get what I'm saying? A subjective claim is something that you can say with your mouth and it's okay because that's your opinion. And then we have absolute truths and we have relative truths. One of the age-old questions to what is truth is always followed by is truth relative. Absolute truth means this. It means to say that something is absolutely true and it means that it is independently true for all people, even if they do not know it or recognize it to be true. So if I hold up my blue phone case and I ask you, what color is this? And you say it's blue, you're true. that's true. But if I go into the nursery where they're still learning their colors and I say, what color is this? And they say green. It doesn't become green because they say it. This is blue no matter what. So even if it's not recognized or known, it's an absolute. This is blue. I have a friend of mine who I was the best man in his wedding who he's actually colorblind. So if I told him that is this blue, he'd say I have no idea. But it doesn't change that this is blue because he can't see the color. There are absolute truths in our world that should not change based on culture. There are absolute truths in the word of God that should not change based on what people think or people feel. Relative truth, however, is this. It's declaring that something is true for one person, but not for another. Therefore, there is no universal truth applicable to all men or women, making the judgment of others foolish. So are there things in our culture that are relative truths? Well, if I, if I drive on, go out and drive down Branch Ave and drive on the right side and say, we need to drive on the right side, then that's a truth. If I somehow get an, a trip to England and I stand on that same truth, that we drive on this side, how many of you know that I'm going to get into an accident? So sometimes truths do change based off culture. But there are absolute truths in God's word that we as believers have to stand on. That culture can't change and that people can't change. In church, we have to fight for that. We have to teach our young kids what is absolute truth. Because there is a young generation that is being affected. They're being told things that are not truth. And they're telling them to believe it based on their emotions and based on how they feel. We have to be fully filled by the Spirit to be able to live by these absolute truths in God's Word. Who can persuade us either towards truth or away from truth? And this is important. Parents. Parents can persuade us towards truth or away from truth. My experience in my young age 
of having my biological mother be what she was called a mother, but she wasn't a mother by role and function because of the addictions that she had in her life. And so I was taken away, but I thank God that God gave me a mother who's actually here today. Who God has shown me this is the role of a mother. That a mother is supposed to be nurturing. A mother is supposed to bring you up in the ways of the Lord. As soon as she adopted us, she got us right in church. I mean, she wanted us to become members in the church at age five after adoption. But that was her first priority was to get us into church. Get us into a Christian school. Get us a Christian education. Give us a, a Christian worldview. But sometimes maybe your experience has been different with your parents. If your parents aren't saved or they don't believe in the word of God, they're going to have a different, they might have a different value system. So parents can either push us towards truth or persuade us away from these absolute truths. Friends, friends can do the same thing. You can have friends who want nothing to do with God. And they can push you towards truth or they can persuade you away from it. So you have to be fully filled to be able to have the right people in your life to keep you in what God has for you. Social media and media are, are huge influencers in our culture now, especially the young generation. Just because the news person says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because the celebrity or the actor who has the most followings or has the most money says it doesn't make it true. Unfortunately, we base our thinking on social media and what the news says. We don't think for ourselves. We have to teach our kids the word of God so that when they hear a claim or they hear something that sounds like truth, they can decipher and say that's not true. If we don't do that, if we don't train them up to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, then we allow other people in the world to do their thinking for them. Athletes. I've seen some athletes say some pretty bogus things, very popular athletes, and they think because they have influence, they think because they have so much money that what they say is true. And I'm sorry, that's just not the case. If it comes from the word of God, then I'll believe it. And lastly, teachers and professors. We're seeing a lot of teaching and doctrines embedded in our school system. It's causing a lot of frustration. It's causing a lot of friction in our nation, in our society. I remember I went to a Christian school from preschool all the way to 12th grade. And when I graduated high school, I went to a local college, and it was the first time I was in a secular school, and I was studying criminal justice. And so I'm sitting in a class, and it was the first time that I heard a professor of authority stand, and one of the first things he says is, there is no God. And if you're a Christian, you're a fool. I remember I was so shocked just because I had always been under teachers who had taught me the word of God. They had taught me the commands of God. I was under a mother who taught me the word of God, the commands of God, and how to live. But to be in a, in a, in a place for the first time where it was spoken differently and an exact contrast, it was, it was an eye-opener for me. And so it doesn't matter your age, those who are in here and those who are watching on the live stream. It doesn't matter how old you are. You have to be fully filled by the Spirit of God to determine what truth is in your life because truth is under attack right now in our culture. Fully filled by the Spirit of God. Jesus says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So people who are not filled with the Spirit of God, 
people who are of the world. That word, world, literally in the Greek is cosmos. It's, it means everything that the world is inv um, involved. It's literally talking about anyone who is in the world and not pulled out of it. Because as you know, Jesus says in his word, he calls us out of the world, doesn't he? Ephesians 5 says, you were once children of darkness, and now you are children of light. Live as children of light. So when we become saved, God pulls us out from the world. Isn't that cool? So we get to have this new thinking. But people who are still stuck in the world, Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what you tell them. You can tell them that this is blue, and they're going to tell you that it's red. And Jesus is telling us why. He's saying that the world cannot receive it. That word receive means to get a hold of. They can't get a hold of our thinking. They can't get a hold of our truth. But when we are spirit-filled, we pray that they see something different in us and that their truth would change. Amen? Young people, I hope you're hearing this this morning. God gives us a mind to develop and to think. He, he, he's not a God who wants to snub our creativity or push it down. He wants us to be creative, but he also wants us to think right. And the Holy Spirit is the only person, when he comes in us, with us, and upon us, he helps us to see through and see what truth is. I want to live my life by this, not by my emotions. Because when things get rocky, I'm going to still be standing at the end of the day. Amen? I'm going to have the worship team come up. And I want to show you guys um, a few things on the screen. How many of you guys have heard of uh, optical illusions? When I was younger, I used to love optical illusions. So as I close, I want to show you a few. So, Paul, if you could put that first one up there. So if I were to ask you which line is longer than the other one, what would you say? We all would think the top one. But they're actually the same length both of those lines. But the way that the picture is drawn and distorted, it's, it's drawing ourselves away to think that the top one is longer than the bottom. But they're both literally the exact same. Isn't that weird? But your brain is telling you, no, that's wrong. Go to the next one. Your brain thinks that there's black dots inside each white circle. Until you focus on each individual white circle, then you realize it was never there at all. So... What you're seeing is black dots, but there are no black dots on this painting. And the intersections of these black squares, it's white. But the brain plays tricks on you because of the way that it's designed. Let's put up the next one. I showed this next one to my daughter. How many legs does the elephant have? She counted six. But I want you to look at that for a second. How many legs do you see? I won't keep it on there too long because this will mess with your mind. But the way the artist drew it, you, there's really no right or wrong answer because of the illusion, but your brain is playing tricks on you. We know factually that elephants have four legs, but this picture is showing something different. Let's go to the next slide. So as you move your eyes around this picture, it looks like the seeds are... Some of you are looking away. You can't handle this. This looks even better on the big screen. This is a still picture. Nothing's moving. But the way the contrast is it looks like the seed circles are spinning. Isn't that weird? For those who can't see it, I'm sorry. I'll give you a copy, a smaller copy, if you want to look at it digitally. Let's go to the next one. This one's weird because the more you look at it and move, it looks like the bottom of the picture is moving. 
and the sphere is shifting. It's not. This is a still image right here. Let's go to the next one. This is another still image, but what are you seeing as you move your eyes around? You're seeing waves, right? Isn't that bizarre? How your brain is telling you you're seeing something, but I'm telling you factually that this is not moving. Let's go to this other one. Which window is bigger? You all want to say the same because of the other picture. But what is your brain telling you? Which one looks bigger? <clears throat> the one on the right. Not only are they the same size, but they're actually on the same plane. They're on the same level. Meaning the top of that window is even parallel with the top of that window. And the bottom of this window is parallel with the bottom of that window. But your brain is telling you something different because of how the drawing is. Let's go to the, uh, I have a couple more. If I were to ask you, how many colors are on that screen? So four. Most people, and that's most people look at that and say there's four colors. Those are actually, there's actually only three colors. The top right and the bottom left are the exact same color. But because of the shading and because of the lines, it looks like there's two different shades, but it's exactly the same shade. Let's put up the second to last one. This one is an old, old optical illusion, but you can see two things. You can either see a young woman or an old woman. How many of you can see both? So the young woman looks like she's looking away that way. So you see it? Like her eyes are looking that way, she's got a feather. Now how many of you see the old woman? It pops out at you once you see it. So the old woman, this is her nose, her mouth. So do you see it now? Can you see both? We'll put some of these on our Facebook page after for some of you. But isn't it crazy how one picture can show people two different things? It's like half of your brain says, this is it, and then the other half says, no, 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 this is it. I want to put up this last image and do something special. I'm going to give you guys, sometimes maybe you have seen this, but what I'm going to do is I want everybody to stare at those four dots. See these four dots right here? And try without blinking for 30 seconds and just stare at it. If you blink, that's okay. But I'm going to time it right now. So for 30 seconds, go ahead and stare at that, those dots as long as you can. Don't move your head away. Don't look at anything else. 10 seconds are gone. While you're still looking, when I say go, I want you to close your eyes and look at a light source and focus and let me know what you see. So keep looking. We're at 20 seconds. Guys are good. <laughs> Teachers should use this in school to keep teach kids looking forward. All right, you got a few more seconds. All right, go ahead and close your eyes and look at like a light source, like the window over there. Close your eyes tight and focus. What are you guys seeing? Some of you guys are freaking out. Please don't go from here Sunday and say we saw Jesus <laughs> at Victory Church. But I wanted to show that because truth is shifting so much in our world, because so much is changing in our world, we have to be focused on Jesus. You all got an A plus for concentration because you were so focused on those things and who did you see? You saw what is a modern view of a picture of Jesus. And I promise you, we as a pastoral staff has pushed being in the word of God. We have to be focused on Jesus in this life. 
just the way you were focused on that picture and you saw his face, when things begin to change around you, your emotions begin to play and the enemy begins to come in and try and steal what God has spoken over your life, you focus on Jesus, you don't focus on the problem. When you focus on Jesus, everything else just seems to fade. We're gonna stand this morning and I just wanna pray over you. We wanna remind you for the meeting, for our international service that'll be here to my left, your right, but we want you to be encouraged this week with what God did here this morning at these altars. God is bringing breakthrough through our church. We're gonna to begin to see healings and signs and wonders. And it's not just for Pastor Richard, Pastor Lisa, myself, Pastor Maureen. It's not just for us to be able to lay our hands on people and see healing. This is stuff for you guys, disciples. His spirit is placed in us as well. He wants you to do work in your workplaces. He wants you to do work in your homes and we get that focus of who Jesus is. And we ask, Holy Spirit, fully fill me. I don't want a half-eaten piece of pizza. I don't want to drink someone's drink that's half-drinking. I want something new, and I want something that's fresh. And that's the Holy Spirit this morning. He wants to do a fresh thing in our lives. So Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, could we lift our hands again this morning? And again, this is, we invite you to do it only as a sign of surrender. Jesus, we have felt your presence this morning. We know that in your word, you say that the Holy Spirit is with us, he's in us, and he's upon us. And I pray right now over this church, those on live stream, that your Holy Spirit would fully fill every single person in this room. Let us learn to walk in agapeo love, the love of the brethren and sisters around us in this community, in our church community. Give us that love, Holy Spirit. When we can't do it in our own strength, help us, be that comfort to us, to love people despite circumstances. And lastly, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes up to the aletheia truth, which is the universal truth that doesn't change based off of what people feel. There is a truth that we stand on that is based off of your word that doesn't shift, it doesn't change, it doesn't distort. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to open up the eyes of every person in this room to see your truth, to stand on your truth, to speak your truth, to live in that truth, oh God. Help us to teach our children and young ones to live in the truth, to know the truth. And when the world doesn't understand it because it can't understand it, let us rely on what you say in your word that your spirit is in us and it is with us forever. You will walk us through the most difficult circumstances because your word says so. You are our comfort this morning, oh God. You are our helper this morning. Show us how to be disciples. Let us be obedient to your commands. Let us love one another just as you have loved us. Protect us as we leave this week. Be with us this Wednesday as we meet and connect, oh God. Be with us in our workplaces. Be with us in our family gatherings this week, oh God. We surrender to you and ask you to do what you have promised in your word. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Be in touch with us.